0: Um, but welcome to Out in South London with me, Rosie Wilby, Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm on my own in the studio this week. We're going to be doing a phoner in the second half of the programme with Hannah Quigley about the play Vanessa and Virginia, about Virginia Woolf and Vanessa Bell, which opens at the Riverside Studios in Hammersmith tonight. Um, so we'll be speaking on the phone to her. I also have a pre-record coming up very shortly with the film director, Geoffrey Schwartz, who I met at the London Lesbian and Gay Film Festival last week. We're going to be talking about the documentary veto that's out now on DVD but he did also direct I am divine which was the opening night film of the festival I had a brilliant time seeing several films I mentioned quite a few of them when I was on the show last week but one that I've seen in between now and then was Lesbiana or a wonderful documentary about the rise of the feminist movement so do try and check that out if you can now if uh, if you feel sorry for me feeling all on my own feeling lonely in the studio can of course tweet at out south london and uh, just say hello Set, tell me if you're enjoying the show it'd be great to hear from you but let's hear from the wonderful uh, film director jeffrey schwartz and he's talking about veto which if you haven't seen it i highly recommend but here is my interview with him uh, last week at the lesbian and gay film festival hi, hi jeffrey it's great hi. to meet you and obviously the film i am divine was on and how that opened the festival yes how was
1: that um, it was wonderful that was that was our international premiere we wow. screened the film we had our world premiere at the South by Southwest Film Festival oh, in, yeah. in Austin Texas yeah and um, this is our international premiere. it's also our first screening at queer film festival ah. so the feeling in the air is very different uh, yes. because I think there's a lot of love that comes even before seeing the movie there's a lot of love for Divine out there so yeah I think the people who are already fans of Divine or the work of John Waters were there and got a, a much different deeper appreciation of who this this person was.
0: Okay. Well, I wanted primarily to actually talk about Vito and the documentary that was screened last year as part of the festival but is out on DVD just later this month. And I I just recently watched it and and loved it. It Thank you. And tell me a bit about what drew you to Vito Russo and his story.
1: The first time I really heard about Vito Russo was through his book, The Celluloid Closet. And even before I personally came out, I knew who he was. That was sort of the Bible of, of gay film and so when as part of my own coming out process that was something I gravitated to naturally is reading The Cellular Closet uh, getting obsessed with the book and trying to see every movie that Vito wrote about because he wrote about movies that I had never heard of or movies that I had seen already but taught us to sort of look at them in a different way or read between the lines and Mm. look for the references that maybe a a mainstream audience might not have picked up on well of
0: course you look for those things because you're so desperate to find some representation
1: yeah exactly I mean as queer people we're always sort of going through life trying to figure out who's gay, who's lesbian, who you know, who, <laughs> with your gay dog, yeah, yeah, who's who's family, you know, and so we yeah. kind of bring that to the movies too. We're always yeah. looking to see, and sometimes we're reading in and something that's not there, but so, but it doesn't matter mm. if you see it there, and no one sees the same movie. So if you see it there, it's there, whether or not it's intended by the filmmaker. But very often it is intended by mm. the filmmaker, even early on before uh, characterising queer people on the screen was literally illegal, where the Hollywood Production Code prevented filmmakers from explicitly representing gay or lesbian people. But they were always there if you sort of read between the lines or knew what to look for.
0: Yeah, well it's it's interesting how before all those codes came in there was actually more and then it got really suppressed, didn't it?
1: That's true, and I think there was a lot more acceptance on the screen. Audiences, you know, a large segment of the audience might not have known that a Franklin Pangborn character who was sort of always the, the fussy hotel. Tell clerk, you know, clearly that was supposed to be not necessarily a gay character, you know, but somebody who was a sissy character. They would call them. Yeah. And there was. I suppose
0: there wasn't the same language, was there? So perhaps there weren't the same legal kind of. Hardships for gay people because there wasn't a, really a recognition of it at all, in a sense. Well,
1: there was a uh, the forces of repression came in mm. uh, from you know the church yeah. and the sort of more right wing organizations who were looking at not only the way what movies were depicting, but the lifestyles of the people who made the movies mm. themselves. So yes, there right. was a swing to the to the right, and the studios were afraid that a censorship would come in by the government. So instead of uh, waiting for that to happen, they developed a set of self imposed. Rules. Their own censorship. Their own censor, <laughs> self-censorship, exactly. Yes, yeah. So as part of that a long list of things that you weren't allowed to do on screen was sex perversion. So they didn't explicitly ah. say that you weren't allowed to show gay or lesbian people on screen, but sex perversion mm. was, was sort of what they meant. So, But, you know, they still were able, clever directors were still able to find ways to, to represent this like in Alfred Hitchcock was yeah. famous for doing that in, in yeah. more than one movie Rebecca he had uh-huh. uh, Rebecca and Strangers in a Train and Rope specifically there were characters who could be read as, as gay
0: well, it made me think of. I actually worked as a production coordinator a, a few years ago on a British film that was a bit of a sort of answer to the celluloid closet called A Bit of Scarlet. I don't know
1: if you heard. No, of that one I've heard of it, but I haven't seen that.
0: Oh right, you yeah, actually worked on that sort of sourcing a lot of the clips when I graduated out of college, and it yeah. was it was really fun to do sort of looking at those, looking for those references. We, we've got a lot a lot of sort of camp films and the carry on films. Oh yeah, um, so it
1: was focusing on British films mostly. It was focusing
0: on British films, yeah, because I think we we just wanted to give it a bit narrow it down a little bit I suppose but it, it was really interesting and I, I'd just be interested to know where you think we're at now obviously we have film festivals like this where it's brilliant we see lots of queer people on the screen but it's interesting I think to some extent in in terms of the big films that get wide distribution and publicity and what's on TV perhaps we're still not represented that much
1: well it's it really does can't come down to economics you know yeah. at least in terms of the Hollywood movies It's rare to see a gay or lesbian hero, you know, being the lead of the movie. Because the studios is a business and they feel that they would alienate large segments of the audience if they told a story that was explicitly gay or lesbian. So usually we're relegated more to the sidelines. You know, once in a while there'll be a Milk or a Brokeback Mountain. You know, great films, you know. Uh, On the other hand, you know, when Vito was writing his book, he noticed that in so many of the films that did depict gay or lesbian characters, they ended up dying at the end, or committing suicide, (laughs) or being murdered, or you know, uh, having a tree fall on them, like in the Fox, you know, and then tragedy. And um, that certainly has changed quite a bit. But if you look at some of the the biggest successful mainstream Hollywood movies with gay or lesbian characters that does happen at the end yeah. Philadelphia Philadelphia, Milk Brokeback Mountain uh, brokeback mountain. Well. You know. yeah. so these Gosh, are all that's true. <laughs> they're, great, they're great movies but you do still tend to have some kind of martyrdom uh, yeah. at the end of the film But we have so many more types of depictions. I'm sure Vito would have a lot to say about how we're depicted on film.
0: I know. It's a shame. I wish he was around to...
1: Believe me, I do too. Yeah, Um, yeah, to uh, say what he
0: thought. But I think what's interesting is all those films we just mentioned are all about male characters. And I think to some extent that has moved forward a little bit, male representation. But I think seeing sort of female characters in love with each other is still... That seems perhaps more marginalised. I don't know because we, we are, here in the UK we had um, a lesbian drama recently called Lip Service, and because it felt like all the audience was so wanting to see themselves represented because they were so starved and that so desperate that a lot of people were really critical about it and really bitchy, you know. Oh, and it yeah. was just a fun soapy kind of drama, but. People were so critical cole because it was the only thing. You they know, we latch to, onto They it.
1: wanted to represent everybody. Yeah, yeah. well, the, the Kids Are Alright was, was a successful film. Of course, in the that States, was a brilliant one, You know, but yes. that was done independently. That was done by a Not filmmaker. Not
0: through a major studio. It was
1: released by a studio, but right. it wasn't made by a studio. It was by yeah. a filmmaker who just had to tell this story and was able to, even with big stars attached to it, Nut yeah. Benning, Julian Moore, you know, Mark Ruffalo, she still had a, a tough time getting it financed. So I know Vito was somebody who encouraged us to make our own movie. And to tell our own stories, so he supported films like in the '80s, like Desert Hearts, uh, you know, the classic (laughs) lesbian (laughs) classic, classic. It's so great, or Parting Glances. It was a gay film that he supported. So, and we need to have a place to to show these films. So, film festivals, obviously, Vito was a huge supporter of film festivals. In fact, he would show gay-themed films to his colleagues in the early gay liberation movement. Oh yes. And so he, he had screenings, even before there was even such a thing as gay film festivals. Oh, I see. He you had, make
0: your own. He yeah. made
1: his own and he, yeah. he, he called them firehouse flicks. And they weren't always gay films. you know. That yeah. He would show them at the Gay Activist Alliance headquarters, the firehouse. Yes, yeah. And so he created community for showing movies. People who wouldn't necessarily get involved with gay politics, <laughs> they would love to go see Auntie May or The Sound of Music. So these weren't even gay films but they were films with gay appeal. So he knew the importance of creating community through film. And, yeah. th- and the film festivals that we have today, particularly this one that we're at now, yeah. certainly foster that.
0: Absolutely. Well, tell us a bit about, obviously, the Lloyd Closet eventually published in 1981. I think he had a hard right. time getting that published. T- tell us a bit about that sort of culture in the 80s, because that was when I was sort of growing up and starting to realise I was gay. And I th- I think it was actually one of the most homophobic decades of all, you know, even though I guess we think gradually gay rights have moved forward. You had Reagan in power and we had that. And, you know, yep. the emphasis was very much on traditional family and yeah. obviously the AIDS crisis as well. Well,
1: in 1981, when Vito published The Celluloid Closet, the New York Times wouldn't even say the word gay. Mm. I don't know what, what year it was, but it wasn't until the late 1980s that they actually would use the word gay. Really? And now it's it's, it's hard to believe that, you <laughs> yeah. know. And yeah. I think it's certainly the AIDS epidemic and that crisis push things forward much more quickly than uh, it would have without it, I think. Yeah. You know, that suddenly the subject was being talked about because it was there was such an urgency to it, and, it and also so many people had suffered from AIDS and died and it was being neglected in the U.S. But it wasn't until someone like Rock Hudson, a movie star, was publicly known to have AIDS and then died of AIDS. Yeah. That was when Really, things took a turn, and we couldn't be ignored or marginalized anymore because now somebody, quote unquote, important, had AIDS. You know, Um yes, was very critical it? of that. Um,
0: yeah. How slow. The, the government were to sort of fund any research or treatment and how the AZT, you know, was so expensive. Yeah,
1: we tried to depict that in Vito, the neglect and the, the dismissal of this as a crisis early on, in the early mm-hmm. days, even in the times when thousands and thousands of people were getting ill and the uh, the inaction of the government, the inaction of the medical community, Not you know. And so we did depict that and Vito was one of those people who, who saw that early on and he had a television show in New York City he did the first television program devoted to the subject of AIDS and he had Larry Kramer on and there was a moment in one of the episodes where he's directly addressing the community and telling them that this is a crisis and we have to do something about this and that don't listen to people who say this is a gay disease you know this is a a disease that is attacking gay men and the only people who are going to save us is ourselves Mm. and I found that so incredible incredible and powerful and then later uh, he was one of the founding members of of ACT UP uh, which has been depicted now in, in other films you know one of the Oscar nominated films this year is was how to survive a plague. Oh yes. You know, yeah. About the creation of act. Up. So I mean it's it's really incredible that Vito was part of the movement from the very, very beginning through the AIDS epidemic. And so telling his story was really a way to talk about how the gay and lesbian community emerged from the shadows and emerged from the pre-Stonewall era through the sort of massive coming out of the early 70s through the AIDS epidemic, and that's only 20 years. It's really incredible how much Mm. happened in 20 years.
0: It is amazing, isn't it? It really is. And it was interesting how, I mean, Vito himself was sort of really mobilized by the the Stonewall riots, um, because it made me think a bit of there's a film being shown at this festival, Betty Bourne, as documentary, and he's, he's in some ways a sort of British kind of similar kind of character, a very interesting actor who was involved with the early GLF meetings in the 70s and the Pride marches. I
1: was told that Vito actually was instrumental in pushing him forward too because Vito wrote about, I talked to to the director last night and Vito wrote about Betty in one of the gay newspapers. and oh, that's uh, interesting. Uh, I don't know if that's in the film, but I found that interesting. Because Vito did spend some time here. He worked for a gay newspaper here, and ah. spent a few years in London writing and, and being a film critic, and yeah. he loved it here.
0: Well, I did see sort of see some parallels, because I know Betty went over to New York as well and was, was performing with a drag troupe there.
1: Oh, okay,
0: okay. And of course, I mean, there are, to some extent, I felt some parallels with, with Harvey Milk as sure. well. and
1: well, Vito never wanted to be a uh, elected official. He didn't want no. to be a politician. You know, Harvey was certainly had that of that course, in him. Yeah. Um, and I do think that they met. But Vito was much more interested in being a citizen activist. Right. He didn't really believe in the uh, that you could really accomplish much being a part of an institution. You know, or being part of a what, you know, because a, you get tied up in red tape. Yeah, Tave. there's politics and, and yeah. red tape. So he really felt that we could do more if regular people. Just stood up and did what they could. Yeah. So I wonder if he had lived, if he would have become part of some institution, a more of a, an established political organization. I don't know. I feel like he was too much of a rebel for for that. You know. Oh really? And yeah. so I feel like he would say, "It's it's up to us to stand up and do what we can." Yeah.
0: Perhaps uh, almost a, a modern day British equivalent would be someone like Peter Tatchell. I don't know if. if
1: yeah, you know, I'm him. familiar with him. I'm sure Vito and, and Peter Tatchell knew each other or had some yes, encounters Yes, I'm, I'm sure and they He's still out there, you his, know, doing his, his thing.
0: always getting beaten up at demos. Oh, bless him. <laughs> and kind of getting into all kinds of scrapes for our, for our rights. What is next? Well, just tell us what's next for the film. It's out on... Vito's out on DVD.
1: Vito's out on DVD here in the UK, and it will be introduced to an audience who didn't get a chance to see it mm. uh, in its festival run. And so I... I'm very excited about the film continuing its life on DVD we have included some bonus material on the DVD that's not in the film some oh, interview okay, outtakes okay. and also some clips of Vito including the clip I was just telling you about of him directly addressing the gay community Fantastic. about the, the okay. AIDS crisis so I hope people look at that there's also some wonderful footage and the extras of uh, Lily Tomlin and, uh, and yeah. Vito, and they were very close friends, and she's in the film, and you can never get enough of Lily Tomlin. Yeah, dressed as her character, who goes to the gay bar oh, yes. to offer the, the quiche of peace <laughs> from the straight of community of to peace. the gay community. So there's a bunch of that on the DVD. So, and I particularly hope younger people to see this film because the part of the reason, as I mentioned, we made it was to tell the story of the, the LGBT movement from yeah. Stonewall through Act Up through Vito's eyes. Yeah, and so I feel like there's along the way you're going to get a lot of information and in a history lesson without it really feeling like a history lesson because it's a very personal because it's journey. his journey right yeah
0: definitely And what was it like sort of tracking down all of that archive of him? Was that easy to find? Oh, there
1: was so much stuff out there. I mean, I worked on the Cellular Closet documentary. That was my first job Ah, in the business. So when I worked on that film, Vito had just passed away. But Rob Epstein and Jeffrey Friedman, the filmmakers, they had all of his research material there in the office.
0: Oh, wow. Which must have been... Because he worked on it for about 10 years He worked on it
1: for a decade, exactly. Yeah, so there must have been so much. Yeah, but also Rob and Jeffrey interviewed Vito for The Sailor Closet because they knew they wanted Vito on camera just to to talk about the genesis of The Sailor Closet. So I had a a long interview with Vito about that. But also they made another film called Common Threads about the Names Project and the AIDS quilt that Uh Vito's in. And they did a long interview with Vito where he talked about his entire life, growing up, ah, Stonewall, writing okay. The Cellular Closet, and of course his relationship with Jeffrey Sebchik, who Vito became his caretaker, yeah. and then Jeffrey passing away, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. act up all, the whole story. And so I knew this interview existed, so many, many years later when I decided to make the film, I knew that this could be the backbone of the film and, yeah. and have Vito tell his own story right. as much it's as possible. Right, yes. So okay. that was important. And then... Uh, various people who've interviewed Vito over the years came forward and provided audio audio cassettes of Vito's interview so we really were able to keep him very present and alive in the film yeah, yeah. which was very very important and then of course other people in his, in his family his brother and his cousin who everyone loves and and uh, people like Larry Kramer and Armistead Maupin and Lily Tomlin were there to tell the story as well wow
0: fantastic and what's next for the I Am Divine movie What's was Am, that on tour <laughs> I Am
1: Divine is on tour we're just at the beginning at this point of our yeah. journey with the film and we're going to be playing in many many festivals all over the world and, and spreading divinity everywhere <laughs> and what's next I don't know ask me uh, a couple months from now and right we'll have so a there's better not, answer yeah, you. not
0: working on the next one just yet
1: the next film is called Tab Hunter Confidential oh, right. which we've just started filming And it's the story of Tav Hunter, who was a a gigantic uh, movie star in the 1950s, one of the biggest stars of that Mm -hmm. time, also a recording star. And, of course, he was keeping a very big secret at the time, which (laughs) you can probably guess that he was living a gay life, Ah, uh, but being presented to the the movie-going public as the boy next door. And so many years later, he's still with us, and he's wrote a book talking about what it was like, being presented as one thing but in reality being something yes. very different and so the film is inspired by his book and also interviews with people who knew him and went on studio arranged dates with him and oh. so it's a real it's a kind of a peek behind the the curtain of, of Hollywood and how stars were created and about a very charismatic one of the most beautiful men ever to be on film I, I think wow. and um, so I'm happy to reintroduce him to the public and particularly with younger people who might not know his story
0: brilliant there's a bit of a a common thread of kind of introducing these characters that people younger generations might not know about I hope
1: so somebody told me that uh, last night that seeing Divine and also Vita was sort of like CPR it got them very motivated you know and I hope that the tab story will do that too because Tab it's also even though he, he was a big movie star he really had to learn how to to be at peace with who he was he didn't want to like Rock Hudson get married for appearance's sake you know he knew who he was and he wanted to be that he couldn't live a lie really even though he was being presented as quote unquote straight movie star yeah that was in a sense a role he was playing so okay. he's very much at peace with who he is now and is ready to tell this story which is very much against the grain of who he is he's a very private person but I think he understands that now it's a very very different time and people yes. are ready to hear this this story
0: Wow well I look forward to hearing more and more of the stories that you want to uh, tell us Geoffrey thanks so much for talking to Thank us Thank you
1: Thank you That was Geoffrey
0: Schwartz um, what a lovely man he was and I interviewed him at the London Lesbian and Gay Film Festival at the BFI uh, just last week so let's hear now Now, from the new single by Heather Peace, this is Fight For, and after this, we're going to be chatting about the play Vanessa and Virginia with the Associate Director, Hannah Quigley. That's Heather Peace, and that's her new single, Fight For. Now, I have on the line, as promised, the Associate Director of the play Vanessa and Virginia. I have Hannah Quigley on the line. Hi, Hannah. Hello. How are you? Oh, I've got you loud and clear. Brilliant. Um, Thank you for joining us on Out in South London. How are you doing? Are you over at the Riverside at the moment? Currently just
2: stepped out of uh, yeah, the studio in which we're work in, working in. Yes, yeah. So, yes, yeah, so at Riverside, i been here um, in situ for the last few days.
0: And you've been rehearsing, I, I yes. take it, yeah. Had technical rehearsal and dress rehearsal just this afternoon. Right, and it opens tonight, doesn't it? Yes. What, so, time, yes. what time does it start? Can people actually still get tickets for this evening's performance if yes, they want to?
2: Yes, first preview is this evening, at 8 o'clock this right. evening, and tickets still available. Um, got two previews. Uh, one tonight, one tomorrow, and then open for, you
0: know, the press on Thursday. Oh, yes, that's the the big press night. That's always the stressful night, isn't it? And then you run until April the 14th. Well, that's it's a play, a new play about Virginia Woolf and Vanessa Bell, based on the novel by Susan Sellers. Tell us a bit about the production and how you're presenting the show. So, yes, um, yes,
2: it is. Uh, it's now an adaptation of uh, yes, a novel by Susan Turner, okay, yeah. Um by yeah Elizabeth Wright, and mm-hmm. um, it's an amazing text. Um, the The way in which the novel was written and and therefore adapted was in a very poetic, um, sort of visual way. And so, and we've taken you know we always feed off the writing. the The writing is so amazing. So we've got um, an original composition uh, by Jeremy Thurlow, which beautifully weaves and helps to tell the narrative as it tells a story of Vanessa Bell and Virginia Woolf from their bohemian um oh, actually from their Victorian childhood to their bohemian adult, adulthood adulthood yeah. in 90 minutes so it takes so you on a really
0: rapid journey quite a lot to but pack in
2: <laughs> there's a lot to pack in but it's very delicately done um oh, okay. and because it's taken from the perspective of um Vanessa Bell it's done in this sort of very visual um, kind of a way that sort of you know within a sentence you can go from being four years of age up to 12 years of age so but it's done um, yes very um, excitingly.
0: Wow and how how, what's your involvement how did you get involved with it with the production? Yeah so um, just
2: over two and a bit years ago, um, the director was um, putting together her team um, as she was developing it for its sort of premiere performance. Um, so, um, yeah, I, you know, as you do with most jobs, just uh, interviewed for that. Yeah. We actually did it at BFI Southbank uh, as we were both um, going to see Portrait of a Marriage there that um, oh, evening. interesting. Right. helped with our, you know, discussions and starting to talk about, um, you know, Virginia Wolfe and her amazing and complex sort of life yeah so yeah got involved uh just over two and a half years ago and we its premier performance um was actually in provence at the virginia Ooh. wolf conference oh, which lovely! an amazing thing to do but also yeah quite brave really but um we it was an international conference so scholars and people um of uh yeah with great knowledge of um, her life we're there and, um, but it, we got a great audience response and got mm. that stamp of approval which really has sort of meant that over the last couple of years it's had one-off performance in Europe and in the UK but um, we're just so excited to be in, um, in London for its sort of premiere sort of three week run yeah um, that's great and
0: yeah i mean the riverside studios in hammersmith is a great place as well we were plugging their film festival recently and we've been talking about the london lesbian and gay film festival um in the first half of the show and i think you you did go along to the closing night film just the other night didn't you
2: I did yes um yes yeah, so margarita which uh, thoroughly enjoyed um had, Brilliant. you know yeah real comedy and, and lightness and again so sort of what kind of links it to the show was the composition for that um film was you know stunning and beautiful and you know it's you know apart from our amazing actors that we've got uh, in yeah. this show and um, amazing composition and design yeah, it's just there was always sort of those sort of links between you know film and theatre. Um, I think also on your show today you had um, uh, Jeremy. Um and um, I, I also am a documentary filmmaker as well, and I know he also does sort of feature films as well. And sort of, yeah, the lines between film and theatre and um, yes, well, it's it all crosses all the time. It's all
0: taking us on a on a journey, isn't it? And just um, briefly, I noticed that the production company that you um, made this play Vanessa and Virginia, they also I noticed yeah. they did an interesting production of Twelfth Night as well, which was set in the twenties. That sounded very interesting too. Were you involved with that one? Is that you don't know so much about that one? <laughs>
2: Well, unfortunately, well, not fortunately for me, I was uh, involved in the Olympics uh, last summer. Ah, okay, not running, not running, but drumming. I was one of the industrial ah, okay. revolutionary drummers. But, oh, wow! But, uh, okay, that's interesting. So that was another aside. But um, yeah. yeah, no, that that actually got an award. Um, the Twelfth Night production, Brilliant. and that took place um, in Cornwall oh. uh, at the Minack Theatre, an open-air um, theatre there. So, the, which moving stories? Uh, the company, which is uh, producing this, has a yeah long-standing relationship with. So, yes, mm. um, oh, I was just going to say Fantastic. that we've um, there's a sort of a little sneak preview trailer w- that is oh, available yeah. on the Riverside and Moving Stories uh, website. So it's
0: riversidestudios.co.uk or movingstories.org.uk. Yeah, and then you can link mm. through
2: to the Facebook pages and Fantastic. so on.
0: Fantastic. And we can see a little, little trailer. Well, all yeah. the best with the show opening tonight and running through till April the 14th. That's Vanessa and Virginia. Do you go and catch it. Thank you for joining us, Hannah. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that brings to a close this edition of Out in South London. We're going to play out uh, with a little bit of Owen Pallett that we played the other week as well. This is a wonderful album from a couple of years ago. Um, Do join us next week from April onwards. We go up to a one-hour show, a bumper dose of LGBT arts and culture. So do join us. Also, if you're out and about this weekend, Ian Shaw, who I opened the show with, plays at The Vortex in Dalston on Saturday. Thanks for listening.